Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome, everyone. This is Ed Epley with the Ed Epley Experience, your opportunity to learn from seasoned professionals about better ways to run a more profitable, more sustainable, and successful business. The gentleman I have with us today for our session is a pretty interesting guy, somebody I've learned to know over the last seven years, I think, more or less. And I've got three words to describe him. You know I try to do this. Number one, he's calm. I have never seen him flustered, despite the uh, challenging situations in which we might find ourselves. Secondly, he's intense. What I mean by that is he gets fixated on certain things and he will not leave go of them until it's wrestled to the ground in one way, shape or another. And the last thing, he is the most authentic guy I think I do work with. You can pretty much know that what he says is what he's thinking, feeling. And I really appreciate that about him. He's James Felton. He's the principal consultant from the Table Group out of Phoenix. And James, thank you and welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Hey, thank you, Ed. Anytime I get a chance to speak with you, I'm going to take it. I feel blessed about it. And the fact that we're doing a podcast is even better. Like we have some great conversations, mostly led by you and, and asking really good questions. And now we get to record yeah. it. So <laughs> I'm excited about that. Thanks for having me yeah, on. You're welcome. I'm sorry. I keep dropping into those modes of Socratic questioning and it's not trying to lead the witness. It's just because I'm curious. Yeah. Anyways, let's get into a little bit more about your background. How did you get involved with organizational health? What was the catalyst for that? Well, you know, there's a few ways I could answer that. But first, I was an executive, you know, at a small business in Southern California and saw some leadership tendencies that I wouldn't coach anybody on. I was an executive at a private school in Arizona and got to see some great things and not so great. But I also have the background. I played collegiate volleyball and I coached at a high level, both like high school athletes, club athletes, and college athletes through my time. And so you get a lot of great leadership experience doing that as well. So when the opportunity came to actually join Table Group, I felt like I was in the right place at the right time. It's definitely been a blessing, and I've enjoyed my work with executives during this time. So were you in a program that was conducted by someone from the table group and that's what was your exposure to organizational health or was it just from reading Pat's books? What was the genesis there? Um, So the book Five Dysfunctions of a Team has actually made its rounds in the volleyball community. Jeff Gibson, who was president of consulting at the time at table group, gave me the book when it first came out. And so it really resonated with me. So I was a practitioner of the work before joining, but I had never been in a session like some of our consultants have been. And then I spent a day with Jeff and his family over at like my family's house. And we talked a lot about leadership. And uh, at the end of it, he basically said like, you should think about joining (laughs) us. And it was one of the best days of my life, actually. So it's great. Yeah, you feel like you've been anointed, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I would later learn how tough it was for me to join because of the relationship I had with Jeff and just him not wanting nepotism, yeah. you know? Right. But it was great. It's been awesome. 
and I really enjoy the work with leaders. Well, our topic today for the audience, and I should have mentioned this much sooner, but it's maximizing meeting performance. And I have become probably to my client's chagrin obsessed about meetings and what they do or don't do in them to the point that I know it's some occasions they get really upset that I won't leave this go. So where's your head about meetings and maximizing the performance about meetings? How much time do you spend on that with your clients? It's amazing that this is our topic. And when you first asked me to be a part of the podcast, I just said yes, because you mean so much to me. And then later when you told me we were going to discuss meetings, I thought there's no way because I've been thinking so much about meetings lately. And I would say it's something I've been talking about with my clients and it's really important, but it's also probably similar to my clients that we know it's important. And then we veer off to chase strategy and culture topics. But, you know, We've got to perfect our meetings. And, um, and so I even get distracted a little bit by it, and I could be better at focusing on it with my clients. Um, but it's hugely important. I'm curious about, since you've had this experience with uh, athletics, you know, with volleyball, coaching, uh, high school and, and collegiate levels, and then you've done uh, work in school systems and, um, if you will, a not-for-profit environment there, and then in a, a for-profit entity, uh, do you see much difference in the way people run meetings from any of those uh, different scenarios or is it equally done equally well or poorly? I'm curious about that. You know, I would I would say it's less specific on the industry. You know, um, sports are going to be a little bit different be, um, uh, just because you're having different types of meetings there. Probably you're actually probably meeting more often in the sports setting. Um, you know, you're meeting on a daily basis with your coaching staff, then you're meeting on a daily basis to start practice and to end practice. Right. So there's probably more of those daily huddle type meetings that we talk about sometimes. Right. Um, but otherwise, I think I think it's, in, you know, bad or good meetings are industry agnostic. So in, in the context of putting an emphasis on meetings and, and, and knowing they do make a big difference in terms of a team's effectiveness. Is, is there an organization that you've looked at uh, or experienced where you would say, man, those people actually have worked at it and have earned the right to run good meetings? Do you, do you see organizations that, that have made progress in that regard? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. A, a few clients come to mind. Um, a few leaders come to mind. Um, you know, and, and so I think about, I think about evolutions of teams. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it depends on where they started, but I can think of some characteristics of high performing teams, um, and high performing meetings is, you know, one, uh, the leader is, is running it, um, is, but but is also not the most prominent person in the meeting. Okay. You know, I've got a few teams where you can walk out of the room and not only not necessarily know who the leader is, but not know what functions people on the team lead. Interesting. Uh, and so, you know, they really take a holistic view um, of the organization and can speak into any part of it. Um, 
as opposed to people running their silos and their functions and kind of only speaking in when the topic crosses into their function. I've never used that as a uh, uh, measuring stick about the kinds of meetings people run, but that I just that if we if I don't get anything else from this podcast today, that's worth the price of admission right there to think about not being able to know the function someone's in based upon their participation in the meeting. That's that's profound for me. That's I love that. Well, when you say it's profound, that that means a lot to me. Um, but here's what I think, and 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 in fact, I was having this discussion with a leader today that being on an executive team or a high-level team, that should be training ground for the next level for that person. So if we're with an executive team, that should be training ground for an executive to become a CEO. No question. No question. However, what we see a lot of times is a CEO who has a bigger grasp of the overall organization um, sometimes because they're doing a lot of one-on-one meetings, but that's preventing the rest of the team from understanding context yep. at the holistic level. And then we expect members of the team to be able to know deeply what's going on in their own function and sometimes allow them to check out when other functions are talking or it's a topic that's just about them. And so then it's like, wait a second, we are just hoping that these people run a function great as opposed to elevating and having a perspective that is similar to the CEOs. Right. right. I, 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 I love that. Uh, uh, I think that premise that, that that should be a rite of passage to be able to be at, at, at the C-suite table or whatever executive level. Yeah, and so Ed, we'll often ask the question on the executive team, are you a leader of a function who happens to sit at the executive table, or are you a leader of the organization who happens to run a function? Oh, I love that. I love that. And it's a nuanced difference in just how you form the question, of course, but it has a lot of implications in terms of how you're looking at the overall business. And guess what? The leader would be way better served to have, you know, kind of many CEOs on their team yes. than functional leaders. I, uh, I've said for years that the HR people that I run into, human resources people that I run to, chief people officers I run into, the best ones, that, and, they're, and they're few in proportion, but the best ones are business people who happen to be in that function um, as opposed to really great at that function and happen to be at the executive table. Yeah, Ed, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, I did a podcast on that with someone you know well, uh, Joyce Schaefer, who was a high-level right. you know, people department at a big company, and um, we had the very same conversation. Like, the best HR people are strategic HR people. No question. Well, and I would say accounting. Oh, yeah, and and finance and IT and any of the shared services. The 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 business acumen makes a huge difference. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm sorry, we're we're way off my uh, my list of questions that I had for you. So I need to. I knew this would happen, though. I knew you'd get me going. What do you see as the biggest mistakes that uh, executives make when it comes to meetings? You know. I, I would actually say there are probably three that I come across the most. Yeah. 
Um, and these aren't in any specific order, but, you know, first I would say is not understanding what meeting they're in. You know, is this a strategic meeting? Is it a tactical meeting? Um, are we in implementation, activation, you right. know, any of those not being aligned on what meeting we're, we're on. And, and by the way, I, I think a tool, the, the working geniuses is, is really helpful to help people identify where in the workflow they are. Um, the second issue I see is this striving for consensus, you know, um, and, and getting people, a leader thinking that there's buy-in when there's consensus. <laughs> and actually, I think that leads to more politics yep. and more lengthy meetings because yep. we're trying to get everybody to align on the same answer. Yep. Um, and then the third thing I would say is when meetings become a collection of one-on-one -on -one meetings. And what I mean by that is we're in the room with a team and the leader is having one-on-one -on -one conversations with each person. And, and it's almost like the leader getting in a tennis match with somebody on the team. And then after a few minutes, that person leaves and a new person comes onto the court. And now it's a, another tennis match. And what would happen in that example? Well, the people on the team who are watching would eventually check out and start checking their emails and all that. And I think that's what happens a lot in meetings. I, I love the categories. I love the description that you've had of those. Um, because I've seen that, and we, we've made reference in our uh, time together at the, at the table group about meeting stew. Yeah. And when, when you have different kinds of meetings going on at the same time, and, and, or, or one person's being strategic when somebody else is being tactical versus another person trying to... to create some kind of accountability for what the team said they would do three weeks ago, all of those different things going at the same time. It's no wonder people say the meeting's a waste of time. Oh yeah. I, I would say that. And I would say um, we've had meetings overtake our calendars. Oh yeah. And so I don't think we're disciplined about saying yes or no to meetings. Um, you know, I worked with a publicly traded oil company and their CEO finally said, you have permission to decline meetings. Not this meeting, not the executive right. meeting. You, in that case, you have permission to call out when we're in unproductive behaviors or discussions. But outside of that, just because somebody invites you to a meeting does not mean you have to go. In fact, I want you to audit your meeting calendar, you know. Yeah, go ahead. Now, finish your thought on that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I just wanted to ask you to phrase it or take it in the direction of. So, when this CEO gave them this permission, did they actually act on it? Do you know if they've they've actually followed through? Absolutely, they did. Okay. Absolutely, they did. It was like the reins had come off, and they're like, "Okay, I get to own my own meeting calendars. Oh, that's awesome!" You know, and so they had much more empowerment to do that, and they definitely took advantage of it. Um, the other thing I would say is if we're going from meeting to meeting, we're now focused on efficiency of the meeting as opposed to effectiveness. Right. Right. Like we're trying to get through things, which is of course important, but are we having the most productive conversations about the most important things, which is what the executive team should be focused on, you know? 
And then I think another challenge to meetings is, are we coaching behaviors? Mm -hmm. And again, I think if we're going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting, then I think a CEO or a leader is like, I just don't have the time to coach. I'm going to focus on getting in and out of this meeting as fast as possible. <laughs> what what's, uh, what response do you have when you hear uh, executive in an executive team meeting, when you hear the words, uh, we need to take that offline? Well, I, I guess my response is, you know, why is that the case? Now, it could be because we're in a meeting of eight people and three people can make this decision. So why put all eight of us through it? which is great. Another reason could be, well, I don't want to have this really uncomfortable conversation right now. And so let's take that offline. <laughs> that's the that's which, the scenario I'm thinking of. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Which of course is like, all right, well, now we're probably going to overthink this. Um, now the conversation is going to be tougher. Uh, and, 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 we're probably also going back to that, like praise in public, coach in private. And I, I would say to leaders, do more coaching in front of others. One, because then they, the rest of the team knows you're dealing with it. And two, then you're setting expectations for the whole team and not this one person. I'm making a note here so that that I write that down because I like the choice of words you use there to do more coaching in public. <laughs> I love that. Well, you, you know, this goes back to my athletic background a little bit. And like, there are some things that you do have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the athlete on. But most of the time, we're having conversations in front of not only the rest of the team, but in front of the other team and in front of people watching and it's like, that's what you do. That's what ex what's expected. And, um, and it's all about how you do it, not whether or not you should do it. And as long as you keep it, you know, somewhat positive, for sure constructive, you're not trying to demean somebody, then it's fair game. Let's talk tactically for just a moment. When we, when we talk about the different kinds of meetings, uh, you and I have context that maybe our audience does not. So in your mind, what are the, the kinds of meetings that executives have a choice um, as to use or to run, if you will, with their team? So um, there are four that we would really encourage teams to think about and, and potentially implement. Um, they are the daily stand-up, the weekly tactical, the monthly strategic or ad hoc strategic, and then the quarterly offsite. Okay. There's a fifth one that often comes up, and that's the one-on-one, -on -one, yep. the regularly scheduled one-on-one. -on -one, and, you know, I, I chose not to include that well, I, I, <laughs> in the ones that we prescribe. Yeah, uh, uh, people who have worked with either you or me probably have heard us be suspicious or skeptical about whether the net return of one-on-ones is worth the, the, whether the juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say it is for developmental purposes. Correct. Yeah. I like it for that yeah. as well, but, but when it gets into that's what you're doing to run the business, but by a series of one-on-ones, I think that very often there are mixed signals that are sent that get in the way of the clarity that most executives want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. 
I agree. And here's the here's the other potential consequence to one-on-ones. As we talked earlier about elevating the team's perspective, when the leader engages in regular business one-on-ones, that necessarily means the leader will always have more information than the rest of the team about the business. Another powerful one. Wow. And so it's it's hard to get the leader, excuse me, it's hard for the rest of the team to elevate to a place of having a holistic view of the company if that leader is always having those one-on-ones and always asking questions and not giving that opportunity up to the rest of the team. That's powerful. I'd never thought of it in those terms. You're right. The leader is the only one that sees the complete picture when when the one-on-ones right. are the primary vehicle for operating the business. Right. Let's see here. The time we have left. Talk to me about the reluctance people have with the daily stand-up, if any, that you encounter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, out of the four, that's the one that we probably get the most pushback on. I don't know if that's true for you. Absolutely. Um, it's the one that I just have chosen not to like die on the hill of. But it's also the one that I I know... People have, leaders have consistently given me feedback that that's the one we push back on the most and it's had the highest impact. Agreed. No question. And I had a, I had a leader write me a letter, like a literal letter saying like this, this has had such an impact and I know we gave you such a hard time on it. And she said, if I took this away, my team would, you know, have, start a mutiny. I had the same comment from the CEO of a uh, closely held uh, uh, re- uh, regional airline for one of the one of the d- domestic carriers, and they fought me and fought me and fought me, and and finally they they relented and they started doing. And then and the CEO said, if you ever need a testimonial to any other CEO about the value of these, I will talk to him. And uh, yeah, it's it's remarkable how that how that goes. It, it is remarkable. Yeah. But you, you asked about reluctance. Um, one, I think it's, you know, they go back to time. Um, you know, we don't have enough time for that. Of course, we're talking, it's a stand-up meeting. It really is probably going to only be about 30 seconds per person, right. but I say a minute just to, you know, in case it goes long. And um, the benefit of it is one, there's more alignment. We start talking to each other more often. We're going to have more alignment. Secondly, and this is a bonus, our teams realize we're talking to each other more often. So they see us as being more aligned, which is always a good thing for an executive team. I love that. And then three, you catch dropped balls before they hit the floor. Spoken like a coach. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and so, so oftentimes you, you find something was about to be an issue and you can address it before it becomes an issue. I love that. Boy, oh boy, I'm just making note after note. Dropped balls and, before they hit the floor. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh, Ed? absolutely. And, and, and the reduction, and it's manifested in reduced numbers of emails, phone calls, and uh, emergencies. No question about yes. it. Yes. 
Yes. I, I love it. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, I feel compelled to tell the audience on the heels of the meetings that you described. So once again, the daily stand-up or the huddle, the weekly staff, uh, I'm sorry, weekly st- tactical, the monthly strategic and or ad hoc, and then the quarterly offsite. I've set up for some of my clients and uh, a list of potential outcomes for any of these meetings. And so my list of six potential outcomes is to align and inform. That's one. Number two is to debate and dialogue about whatever the uh, topic or topics might be. So we want discussion and, and, and um, inputs. Third is um, we want to make decisions. Fourth, we want the opportunity to be strategic. Um, fifth, we want to develop people or the team. And then last, we want some ability to have reporting out and or accountability for things we said we would do. So those are the six outcomes. And so part of what I've asked organizations who've struggled with meeting performance is to keep those outcomes in front of them. And as they begin the meeting, they should remind themselves, this meeting is for one or two of these outcomes. It's not for all of them. And I've had a couple who've said that's been really helpful as a reminder when they start to stray, that they recognize that they are trying to get uh, They've allowed certain things to move them towards meeting Stu when that's not been their intent. Yeah. I mean, I wrote those down and I'm really trying to add to it. <laughs> and I don't think I can. I love that list of, of those six. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think you're right. So the, I, I guess at, at this point, um, James, the, in, in the conversations of, that you have with your clients, how much time, recognizing that you work with them over time, do you find meetings is kind of like an aha, and then you can, you can say for most of your clients that now they get it, and so you don't have to spend a lot of time on it? Or is this something that you have to sharpen the ax, you, you have to revisit numerous times because they might agree, but they get sloppy. I'm, I'm just curious about wh- how, how much of this sticks early on and then you don't have to worry about it. Um, well, I, you know, going back to the vulnerability of like, you know, we get sidetracked, I get sidetracked. And, um, and so I probably could really, 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 um, you know, make the case even more early on. Um, with a client and I, I need to. And so like, this is always something I, I kick myself on. It's like, Oh, I probably could have done that more, or I probably could have just been more persuasive or, or just made the case more about meetings. Um, even when I do that and I'm confident in like, I sent that message and they're going to implement these meetings, you realize we have probably been in organizations that did meetings poorly more often than we've been in organizations that did them really well. No question. And so the muscle memory, unfortunately, is around poor meetings. And so I think it's (laughs) something that we often have to come back to and just recalibrate. You know, we need to coach on meetings again, observe meetings first, coach on meetings, and just make sure they're not leaning into some of those poor behaviors that we've literally grown up in, in our business lives. Yeah. The inertia and the momentum and just plain old habits that cause people to revert back to their less productive behaviors in these meetings is very, very hard to change. There's a lot to overcome. 
Yeah, and I agree with you. And I would add that there's this real tendency, which I totally understand, by the way, of saying, oh, well, that's how that person is. You know, oh, that's Bill. He's going to go along on that. Or that's James, and he's going to say things a little bit more directly than all of us. And it's really hard to be a leader, and we're going to coach on behaviors. And, you know... And I was with a leader and we were kind of talking about meetings and he said, well, you know, I mean, but everybody's their own person. You know, I mean, you had the seven dwarfs who like all had different <laughs> characteristics. And I said, you know what? That's true. And I've never heard that analogy before. But even the seven dwarves all marched in a line and all whistled the same tune. Ah, oh, great comeback. <laughs> and it was like, you know, yes, we are all our own individuals, but we have to do things that help make the meetings as efficient and effective as possible. Uh, you know, now just I'm going to the rest of the night. I'm going to be thinking about hi ho, hi ho. It's off to work. We <laughs> you, you killed me. <laughs> You're killing me, James. I got lucky on that one. I'll, I'll just say that. I love it. We always end our conversations with our guests. And this one, I could keep talking for another hour in this because I believe its importance is worthy of it. But what's the one thing, if people who are listening, if they only do one thing, what would be that one thing that you would say would help them get more from the meetings that they run? The one thing I would say is the leader needs to own their role in how the meeting is run and the behaviors within the meeting and hold people accountable to that. But at the same time, the leader needs to probably take a little bit of a step back in entering into the discussions early right. and allow the team to kind of fill that space. And I referred to a meeting I had today with a leader and he said, well, I want to ask certain questions. It's like, well, how do you know your team won't ask those questions? You step in before they ever do. And then how are you ever going to train them to ask those questions if you always do it? Great, great. So I would really encourage the leader to be more of the coach on the behaviors in the team and step back and see if the rest of their team can step into that void of strategic questions or jumping in. And then their job becomes easier as a leader, like I said earlier, because now they can sit back and listen to debate and make a decision if necessary. He's James Felton. He's the principal consultant with the Table Group out of Phoenix. I consider him a friend and a role model. There are times that I know that were I to behave more like him with my clients, I think I could get some better results. But this old dog doesn't always learn that trick that he needs to learn. James, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to have further discussion with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So they can reach out to my email address, which is james.felton at tablegroupconsulting.com. Or I have my own webpage, which is feltonconsulting.group. Beautiful. And are you open to it? I mean, would you mind if folks reached out to you? No, I don't mind at all. I'd be really happy with it. Good. All right. I promise those of you listening, it would not be a waste of time to speak with James. James, thank you for the time and the wisdom that you've shared. We're going to have you back on, talk about another topic in the near future. 
my small disturbed following, and they're all smiling that as they're listening to this and hearing that, I know we'll want you back on. So we, we got to get that done. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, it's been my pleasure, Ed. I thank you so much. And you're the mentor here, not me. And that group is lucky to be following you. You're a great guy. And I know you help people a lot. So thank you for letting me join you. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 